Do you have a story to tell about a terrible medical conversation? I want to hear from you. Please email me at christine at christinemeyermd.com. I can't wait for you to tell me more. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Tell Me More. I'm your host, Dr. Christine Meyer. On the show, we break down some of the worst conversations in healthcare. Why? Because I believe that together we can build better ones. Hi, I am Dr. Christine Meyer, and I am the host of Tell Me More, a podcast about how doctors and patients communicate or sometimes don't. My co-host today is my husband, Dr. Christopher Meyer. He practices pediatrics and I practice internal medicine. So naturally, we have some differences in philosophy, right, Chris? Yes. (laughs) Very different areas of medicine, not medication. (laughs) So in our relationship, we have had many things that are completely compatible. We went to medical school together. So our philosophy on practicing medicine and science and data is pretty similar. But in our marriage, we have several things where maybe our philosophies are not so similar, like in skincare routines, for example. Chris, in a word, please describe for our audience your skincare routine. (laughs) Okay. I suppose she means by skincare routine that I just use ivory soap for everything. So I wash my hair with ivory soap. I wash my face with ivory soap. (laughs) I wash my hands with ivory soap. And... It is more than adequate for your average cleanliness. No, no, no. So to be fair, I turned 50 and I decided to focus on self-care. And part of my self-care routine is my skincare routine. And I have adopted a very complex but doable system, which has made an enormous difference in how my skin looks, which Christopher does not believe is actually true. And if this was a video cast, (laughs) you would all see how beautiful my skin looks, even for 50. (laughs) But Chris, you definitely- Like I said before, we need a double-blind, placebo-controlled study. exactly. We need blinded observers. (laughs) Yeah. So he he definitely believes in data behind everything. And I, I, for the most part, believe that, especially in the practice of medicine. But I do also believe in instinct. And that's what brings us to our very first podcast episode. So one of the things that patients talk about a lot in terms of their frustration with their healthcare is in doctors' approach to testing, specifically how doctors react to normal tests in the face of a patient that has a list of very complicated symptoms. So Chris, in your experience as a pediatrician, do you sometimes have patients that present to you with pretty significant symptoms that are impacting their day-to-day life, but the series of tests you've ordered really don't lead you down one path or another? Well, I think that it's very important when you're considering ordering tests is to always ask yourself why you're ordering that test. Will that test make a difference in how you manage that patient? There are lots of times where I might consider a test, but realize that I'll be treating the patient the same way, regardless of the results of the test. So it's important both from a responsible approach to healthcare dollars, but also an intervention to the patient. So 
Some medical procedures are relatively benign, but many are not. And so performing those interventions can result in some harm. So it's a, it's a balance. Now, I also have the luxury of generally taking care of, well, children. <laughs> it's not often they have a serious lipid problem. They have no underlying cardiovascular disease. Diabetes is relatively rare. The things that I see don't require testing to the same level that adult medicine seems to. Yeah, I'm always like astonished when you ask me about, you know, maybe a 15 or 16 year old that's kind of like drifting into adult territory. And you're like, hey, what would you make of this? I'm like, well, I would order this and this and this. And I would list like 17 tests that I would order. And you're always like, I didn't do any of that. And I was like, what? That is basically malpractice. How could you not order all of these tests? But in hindsight, Tests get us into trouble because we rely on them way too much. Do you remember reading stories about doctors like back in the day that didn't have access to CT scans and blood tests and this and that? And they were basically just great diagnosticians, right? They would listen to a patient, lay their hands on a patient and come up with a diagnosis. And then sometimes they would do some quackery um, and not necessarily save a patient's life, but they really did rely on their touch and feel and history-taking skills to diagnose a patient, right? That's pretty much what pediatricians do, wouldn't you say? Sure, sure. I think that pediatricians in general have a pretty good feel for when a child is ill. I think that that, that is the hallmark of a lot of algorithm outs. You'll see, here's the list of things. If the child doesn't have these things, they're unlikely to have a problem unless the clinician feels that there is something out of character or that this child appears ill as a common phrase. However, it, 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 your point is well taken. Atul Gawande talks about this in some of his books about doctors in India and, and how, from a diagnostic standpoint, a lot of times they look down on American physicians and their inability to make <laughs> diagnoses right. by a good history and physical exam. Right. And sometimes we do have a tendency to over-rely on tests. And as time has gone on, tests have gotten much, much, much more sensitive. So sometimes we're not even sure what they mean anymore. We had a recent pediatric meeting in the hospital where we specifically asked maternal fetal medicine specialists to come and discuss with us all these different renal abnormalities that were being picked up during routine ultrasounds. And we weren't sure how many of these things we really needed to chase down. But it is a perfect example of how testing can get you into trouble in regular patients because of the high sensitivity of some of these tests we do today. Right. So you're talking about a test that you do because somebody has a specific symptom. And in the case of a patient of mine that I was just talking to the other day, she had severe pelvic pain and cramping and actually went to the emergency room multiple times with this cramping and said these words to multiple emergency room doctors. I feel like I'm in labor. Now, this is a lady who'd had multiple kids, had actually experienced childbirth, so knew what labor was, but was in a station of her life where 
literally pregnancy was not possible. And she was definitely not pregnant and definitely was not about to birth the baby in the bathroom of the emergency room, which would have made a fantastic story, but that's not what happened. But her words were, I feel like I'm in labor. And multiple doctors ordered multiple tests, ultrasounds, CAT scans, blood tests, and everything was normal, 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 normal. So she was sent on her way numerous times and then ended up in the office of an obstetrician, gynecologist, who just dug a little deeper into her history and learned that she had had two procedures in her past. She had had a tubal ligation, which is a procedure that is for permanent contraception. Your tubes are tied, basically. And she'd also had a uterine ablation where the lining of her uterus had been burned to stop excessive bleeding. So she had these two procedures, but none of the emergency room doctors asked her about those procedures. This one obstetrician did and took one look at her and said, oh, you have tubal ligation post-ablation syndrome. When this patient told me about this, I was like, what? I've been in practice 25 years. I've never heard of that. But it was a diagnosis that would never have been picked up on any CAT scan or any ultrasound, but was a very real diagnosis. And it led to fluid accumulation within the uterus that caused this severe cramping pain. And it wasn't until this patient had a hysterectomy that her symptoms resolved. And it took one very astute obstetrician to come to that diagnosis without looking at a single test, which was so interesting to me. So, you know, we rely on tests to help us find a diagnosis, but sometimes a normal test veers us away from a diagnosis and we just blow patients off basically because every test we know how to order and interpret is called normal. So, Chris, in kids, you basically try to avoid those tests in the first place, right? Sure. Testing in children is one of those things that you have to be very careful about because it's definitely a scenario where you can do more harm than good. The really? Test Wait, how, is it, how can a test in a child be harmful? It's just a test. Well, some of the tests themselves cause pain, and then the pain can cause subsequent anxiety, but it can also reinforce to the child that you really think there's something wrong, mm, right? that we aren't going to reassure you. We need to do more things to you because we are very concerned about what's been going on. So it is a delicate balance because you certainly don't want to miss anything. You don't want to have a child have a problem that you you glossed over. But when you are careful about your history and careful about your physical exam, you can really narrow these things down pretty accurately and decide which one of those children really needs to have a further workup done. It's somewhat of a crutch. It's a little bit of diagnostic laziness <laughs> to start doing tests oh on children. God. You're saying and that all adult doctors are lazy and pediatricians are like, you know, dig in and take the time because no, they don't No, I said nothing. I said that children <laughs> in general have less problems than adults do. And so you have to take that into consideration. I can certainly lump myself in the group of physicians that have made mistakes over the years. I think we all have. It's a very difficult thing for physicians to admit. Mm. In those scenarios, I have tried to learn from every one of those Can scenarios. you think of an example of that where you didn't do a test and you wish you had? Well, I can think of a scenario where I had a young man 
who, without going into too much detail, ended up being sent to multiple different specialists because his complaints were very specifically revolving around fatigue. Mm. That's a tough one. Yeah, it is a tough one. <laughs> the, but he was a, the he was fatigue is tough. It is tough. It is tough. But he was very athletic. He really didn't have a lot of other past medical problems with the exception of a little bit of anxiety. But in the end, even after seeing an orthopedic doctor for his complaints of low back pain and seeing a physical therapist for quite some time, not quite some time, probably a few weeks, he ended up unfortunately being diagnosed with leukemia. Oh my goodness. And in hindsight, probably a little more lab work would have been a reasonable thing to do in this patient and perhaps would have hastened the diagnosis by at least a week or two. Mm. Do you have a story to tell about a terrible medical conversation? I want to hear from you. Please email me at christine at christinemeyermd.com. I can't wait for you to tell me more. So in that case, had you done a test, it would have been abnormal and maybe sped up the diagnosis somewhat, right? So in, in some of these patients that I'm talking to, they have these symptoms and the tests are done because, you know, like you alluded to, adult doctors tend to veer towards tests because... Either we don't have the confidence to tell a patient that there's nothing wrong with them, or we just need the validation or the confirmation that what we suspect is true. So we order these tests. And then when the test is normal, it's almost like that patient is pushed off of a cliff. Then we're like, okay, well, I was with you. I was following along. I was really invested in your care. I felt really badly for how badly you felt. And so I ordered these tests, but now the tests are normal and I'm washing my hands of you because I don't know what else to do. It seems like that is a pattern of behavior, at least for adult patients. That's really, really frustrating. So very frustrating for the patient. For the patient. Absolutely. And honestly, for the doctor too, like I hate to tell a patient. There's nothing wrong with you, especially when deep down in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, geez, like a month ago when I started this process with this patient, I believed that there was something wrong with them. And so I ordered all these tests. And when the tests are normal, now I'm like, well, there must not be anything wrong with you. So where do we make that change? So one the patient doesn't walk around with whatever diagnosis it is, just believing that they're fine because a doctor told them they were fine based on tests. And also, how do we restore that patient's confidence in that doctor who basically made their determination based on a bunch of tests that obviously didn't tell the whole story? Well, I don't know. I think some of these things are tricky, and I don't think that there's going to be an answer for a lot of these scenarios because they're often situations where the diagnosis is very tricky, as you demonstrated with the story about the gynecologist and a very specific problem that I had never heard of and you had never heard of. Those sort of scenarios are always going to be the, the ones that keep us up at night. Mm, the exactly. ones where we sit up in the middle of the night, yeah. swing our legs over the edge of the bed. <laughs> you more than me. You are a lunatic <laughs> in the middle of the night. And but. <laughs> try and concentrate on what is going on with this patient and say, did I miss this? Did I order that? Is there something different? Should I call them? The nightmare scenario for both the doctor really and the patient because neither one of us really wants to miss anything. But also it's a 
careful thing to try and figure out careful thing. I don't think that's the right wording, but it's, it's a tricky thing to figure out where a problem may not be very severe and that part of our anxieties have made these problems into a bigger, bigger issue than they really are. And I don't hold myself above anyone in this respect. Perhaps doctors are even as bad as, as their patients may be. We know a lot about terrible diagnoses and the Anytime we have a symptom, our assumptions are often that that disease is always the worst one. Yeah. The same thing happens when we Google Doc, right? When we try and figure out what problem we might have. Patients often come to me with complaints and they may have a very, very minor problem that I am extremely familiar with. But you know what? The disastrous ones pop to the top because they're the ones that scare people the most. And those are the ones that people come in with their top three differential being something awful. Mm-hmm. And then where do we allow ourselves to finally draw the line and say that's enough testing, that mm-hmm. the testings are not helping us. They, they are actually making the patient more anxious and mm-hmm. feel worse. And this is always a very difficult line. I'm not sure it's an easy question to answer, but I can give another personal anecdote where I had a problem that was involving some kind of pain. Mm. And I was concerned about a subsequent dental procedure that I had to have done. And I was worried that this was near a facial nerve that could be further injured. By the time I ended up seeing the subspecialist to make sure there was nothing wrong, my first assumption was, <laughs> was that there a was brain a tumor. brain tumor or a tumor yeah. at the canal for the exit of the facial nerve, and <laughs> and I was I could barely answer the questions that the well, neurologist. Well, can we was- can we pause for a second right here <laughs> to just point something out? So I am an adult doctor, and Chris here is an adult patient. But I was not privy to any of this information. Mm. I was not allowed to be involved in mm. any of the diagnostic procedures because in his world, I am his wife and not a doctor. But he carried on, you know, through all this entire process. You had an MRI, right? Yes, because yeah. I found it in your closet and you never told me about it. I don't know if that was the same one, but well, anyway. You so. had a brain MRI and your wife did not know about it. And mm. I feel like that was that would have been an important thing for us mm. to discuss. Well, but anyway, for a different anyway. episode. Yeah. So you convinced yourself that you had this major problem. Right. And in the end, I go to see a specialist and the specialist simply says, no, I think the following things are the diagnosis and I'm sort of classic. Honestly. This is a kind of a boring case for me, (laughs) you know? And, you know, honestly, I want to be boring when I go to see my doctor. I don't want to be interesting. I want it to be an everyday sort of thing. But to demonstrate the power of suggestion or the effect that these things can have on you as an individual, within a day of having left this physician's office, I had half the pain that Mm. I had prior. And then probably within a week, I barely even noticed it anymore. And so this is something where, again, like I said, I don't hold myself above anybody. The mind is a very, very powerful instrument and it can affect us internally and, and manifest things in a way that are very, very real. I think this is the dilemma we're talking about now when people really have some problem or something that's bothering them. 
but it can be relatively minor. Mm -hmm. But the constant testing, the constant reinforcement, the constant interventions with imaging, lab work, even more invasive types of studies, these things rarely result in any change in a diagnosis. And often they can make the anxiety persist and make the patient feel worse. And I am a perfect example of that. So that that is such, this is a perfect thing to close on. So you, you are a physician and you're, okay, I hate to say this to you right now, but you are like one of the smartest people I've ever met no. in my life. You are. It's true. Not enough people. <laughs> Come on, you know. And and I feel like you took yourself down that path that so many patients do with, with maybe half of the knowledge and education that you have. So patients do that exact same thing. You happen to be fortunate enough to meet with a doctor who had the confidence to say to you, I don't think there's anything wrong here. And just that statement made you feel better. And sure. you went home sure. and had fewer symptoms. So in in my world, it's hard for us to say that to a patient. And I think that's where the crux of some of this mistrust is coming from and where I really want this podcast to make a difference is in that very thing. We as doctors have to be able to communicate with patients and say things like, I really think you're fine. And here's why. And here's why I don't think you need any more testing. Or, I'm sorry, I really don't know what's going on here. I have never heard of tubal ligation post ablation syndrome, but many doctors, myself included, have a little bit of an ego. We don't want to be that doctor that says, I don't know what's wrong with you. And so we either dismiss the patient altogether or we turf them to a specialist who, you know, may take months for them to get in with that specialist. You probably had a little bit of pull because you're a local physician and got in with the specialist who gave you reassurance right away. But our inability to communicate with a patient either the concept of you really are okay and say it with confidence and believe it, or you may not be okay, but I am not the doctor to tell you what it is. We can't firm up either of those conversations and it leads to tremendous frustration on the patient's part and a huge sense of mistrust. So that's what we have to work towards is having the confidence to tell patients that, no, you really are fine. And when they're not fine, having the humility to say, I'm sorry, I just don't know what's wrong, but we're going to keep working towards it. I agree. I think that sounds like an excellent way of putting it. All right. So we'll delve a little more into this in our next episode, but we would love to hear more from you guys. So if you have a specific scenario where your healthcare was just affected by a test that was normal or not, or a doctor that wasn't able to tell you for sure that you were fine or not, please email me at christinemeyermd.com. We definitely want to talk to you. Until okay, next time. I didn't hear that email address. Sorry. Well, you definitely have a hearing problem. No, so. I do not. <laughs> and it's christine at, at christinemeyermd.com. Thanks for listening. 
Thank you so much for listening. Are you ready to join our conversation? Just go to Facebook and search Christine Meyer MD. Follow us to join 14,000 other people committed to creating better conversations in healthcare.